This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Two murders on two consecutive days this week have brought the total number of homicides in the city this year to 81. The latest victim was a 15-year-old boy. He was killed in broad daylight downtown in Regent Park. And on Monday night, a 27-year-old man was found shot to death near a community center in the Don Mills Shepherd area. That's a busy community center where you'll find lots of families. We have not heard that much about this issue lately, though it did come up in yesterday's mayoral debate. Last election, you said a handgun ban was an empty gesture. Now we've had a thousand shootings in our city. And, and now you're again. saying that that's what so we do you need. Want to tell that's me, not what, leadership. Well, can I leadership tell you what's is changed? getting out ahead you see, of Jennifer, a challenge. Keith, Ms. Keith, leadership is about when you're presented with new facts, actually changing your opinion. That is something that I think people respect and they admire when you actually do it. Okay, well, we always seem to end up with a polarized debate with people on one side saying we need more police and more tools for them like carding and on the other side people who say no 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 no. all we have to do is to eliminate poverty uh, or have a total ban on handguns in the city I don't know maybe we need a mix of those things uh, but again I'm hoping we can get away from that very polarized debate right now we are going to go to Mike McCormick, president of the Toronto Police Association, and Michael Bryant, who is the former Ontario Attorney General and now the executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having Good morning. Me. Okay. Good to be here. Mike McCormick, uh, yes. another two murders. Uh, this morning you were tweeting that, that basically the staffing levels are unsustainable. Officers have too much overtime. You know, it's not that they have too much overtime, but what we did have is a uh, what they call the summer initiative where uh, we increased overtime or had mandatory overtime for our officers to try to deal with some of this violence in the city. And my point is that, you know, we have a crisis in staffing, a crisis in policing right now, and these Band-Aid solutions are not going to do anything for long-term dealing with the issues that we're experiencing in a city like Toronto. And we have to have some real sustainable pieces. Uh, and to your point earlier in your introduction, you know, about being polarizing, you're, you were right in the one segment where you said that it is a combination of uh, these things that are going to have the effect that we need on a long-term basis, whether that's uh, having the right amount of police officers, getting them out in the communities, getting a proactive component, a strong social network. And, you know, you said eliminating poverty uh, and giving people opportunity. It's a combination of these things that will have the effect that we need. Well, yeah, except uh, I think generally if you say eliminating poverty, you know, hopefully we can get things better. But that's perhaps a little bit too much of a a tall order. 
Um, I, I think it, I think it's something we should aim for. However, let's talk about the realities of what we're dealing with in Toronto, and and I think that where we have to look at it is what is the interim, uh, short term, medium term, and long term objectives to solve this uh, crisis and violence in which we're which we're experiencing. Okay, so um, yes, I mean, you know, yeah. I agree when people say we need these wonderful programs, but we've had programs like that for a very long time, and just having more is not going to solve it, certainly in the immediate term. Not at all, not at all. And these are long-term sustainable pieces where you have to give people opportunity, you have to give, be able to give them uh, the ability to work to a goal, give them value in their lives, and that's a long-term commitment, but it's something that we need to do to be socially responsible in a city like Toronto. However, in the interim, and what we need to also have to go along with that is a strong policing component, a proactive policing component to deal with the issues. Now, I worked in Regent Park most of my career. I have a great understanding of what goes on with violence and the culture of the gun. And right now, when we have people who are going around the city carrying uh, firearms, with no fear of being caught, no fear of being stopped by the police because we don't have the resources to do it, uh, that is an immediate issue that needs to be resolved or it's going to continue. Michael Bryant, what's your take on that? Well, I, I, I'm, I am somewhat relieved that it's not a significant election issue because the, uh, the, the, while uh, whenever a gun homicide uh, happens, it is tragic and it feels, uh, and you know, a lot of fear. I think grips people. Uh, in fact, we have a much um, higher number of suicides by guns than we have homicides by guns. It still is about number twenty-five in the list of preventable deaths. Accidental deaths uh, sits at ten, not involving guns. Um, the number of uh, 30 to 50 gun homicides a year, every one of those is a tragedy. But compared to other cities um, in, in the United States, it, it's, uh, a, it's, a, it's a small number. And while I uh, know that that uh, it would be upsetting for a victim or someone who's close to that to hear, uh, the reality is is that there's um, a lot more motor vehicle deaths and there are gun homicides in Toronto. And we're sitting, as I take it from the Toronto Police Service website, which have, provides these stats very helpfully, um, it, it, we're still sitting at around 40 gun homicides a year. And although everyone's We're a tragedy, 80 this year. 80 homicides, 40 gun homicides. Ah. Okay. okay. And lastly, it, but to do something about it, because we'd like to get the number down to zero. Um, other countries that have uh, tried to turn it around and done it successfully in Australia and the United Kingdom, they did it by attacking gun supply, and they did that by doing everything they could to reduce the gun supply per capita. And they do that by um, expensive buybacks. Uh, by very restrictive availability of legal weapons and through close tracking of weapons, which we used to be able to do through the gun registry, but we can't now. And lastly, they have uh, really anti-gun hoarding laws. So in Canada right now, there is no restriction on somebody having 100 guns. I don't know why you need 100 guns. Uh, we, why not just limit the number of guns per person to uh, address that issue of hoarding? Because 
um, uh, there, there, yes, there are some guns that come across the border and are smuggled, but many of the guns that end up on the streets and are involved in gun crimes are stolen uh, from legal gun owners. Or, or they sell them because correct. they can make a lot of money. Correct. That's right. That's uh, right. How so, do we stop that, Mike McCormick? Well, a couple things I have to address uh, from what Michael was saying um, is, first of all, to use the analogy or to say, well, more people are killed in car accidents are to, uh, to be dismissive that there's only 40 of the 80 homicides that were a result of guns uh, being used on the streets. And this is where I have a problem with the, the debate around this is that to be dismissive of that or say, well, and, and then the comparison, you add on top of it, well, we're not like uh, the lowest common don- denominator, which is it's the It's not US a common city. denominator. We we don't want to be like that. <laughs> exactly. So to say, well, you know what, yeah. we're better off than the States. I mean, or we're better off than Chicago or whatever. I think that's really uh, a false narrative. The narrative we have to deal with is we are experiencing a huge increase in violence, in particular gun violence. We have seen a 145% increase in shooting victims over the last four years. So the fact that we got better paramedics, better health care, and people aren't uh, good shots uh, is not anything <laughs> Sorry, that's Sorry, it's not funny, but yeah, I never I, thought I of that you, as a factor. Sorry. You know, that's not consoling to the yeah. people who are out there keeping the city safe and seeing what's going on, or the communities that I've worked in and represent. Uh, where they are being victimized by this type of gunplay. And I think that we really have to get down to, okay, how do we create these safe communities? And when we, I hear people saying, well, let's talk about Australia, let's talk about the UK. They are two islands, we know that. They don't have the largest unprotected border with a country that's got more guns than they know what to do with. So when we talk about Australia and the UK, nobody talks about Venezuela where they have a uh, gun ban and they have a murder rate 33 times out of the states, or Jamaica where they have a gun ban, or Washington, D.C., where they tried to implement a gun ban. So, you know, where you have a prohibition on firearms, I agree, an ultimate prohibition on the possession of firearms through the criminal code, uh, and we have that legislation, that will have an impact. But we still have to deal with the immediacy of what's going on right now in the city of Toronto. Why are people using guns? Who are using guns? And how do we curb this behavior and make it unacceptable? So I think that what we have to do well, I don't think. I know what we have to do. Having worked in the communities and the environment where people are, the proliferations of guns and the use of guns is happening, you have to have a strong policing presence, a community-based policing presence with a strong social fabric to help people in the long term get out of the culture of violence. You know, one of the things that I hear people say is, you know, these things go in waves and in spurts, and this spurt will be over soon. I mean, I don't know, Mike, is is there some kind of gang war that's precipitating this, or is it, in your opinion, the end of carding? Uh, You know, well, what I think it is, is the end of proactive policing. It's not the end of street checks and stuff. And look, we've heard from the community that no matter what the police say about the value of street checks, the community has said that it, the risk to the relationship between the community and the police outweighs the value of street checks. Okay, we hear you. So now let's have the resources we need, which is community-based policing, to gather that intelligence that we need to have that presence. So when we don't have that proactive component, uh, we are going to see uh, you know, what we're seeing today. And I know that firsthand 
working, as I said, in, in region and other neighborhoods where you need to have that police presence. You need to have that engagement with people. And it's not about taking their names and putting them in a database. It's about just being out there and, and show, having a high police presence, which we know has an impact on the perception of public safety and public safety, and also gives us the ability to do that proactive policing to get the intelligence we need to deal with these uh, gun issues now. Michael Bryant, well, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I mean, I, um, uh, at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, uh, I was pleased to hear what uh, Mike said about um, uh, the... Uh, that no matter how effective uh, carding may have been, that it is just a non-starter for the communities and that therefore uh, it ought not to take place. And uh, I, I think that's an, an important step and, and the, uh, that certainly Mike and, and his members uh, accepting uh, the community's voice on that. Uh, well, the policing community deserves uh, great credit for that. Uh, I, but that said, I don't, I've never understood why, the, why police leadership uh, would be opposed to lowering gun supply. And, and I know that gun control isn't popular, but if you lower gun supply, uh, then we know that you uh, lower the number of uh, the rate of gun violence. And so uh, undertaking those measures, not not alone, uh, in addition to the things that we've been talking about here today, but what, what do you uh, say less, less guns, yeah. less funerals. Uh, it, 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 it is as simple as that statistically around the world, and of course it's also common sense. There's less guns available, there's going to be less gun violence taking place. Yeah. So in addition well, uh, to what's being described, I didn't interrupt you, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. interrupt me. I, I, while while <laughs> I think it's important to do all the things that have just been described here, in addition to that, we just, we got rid of all the gun controls. We even got rid of the check that were done uh, at the point of purchase. Um, and uh, the more we can uh, lower the gun supply, uh, I think that the, le- uh, uh, the more we can make some, uh, something we can actually do, uh, our lawmakers can do. And then in addition to that, of course, the police can do the work, the important work that they do as well. I, I want to take a couple of calls, but I just want to clarify. My understanding was, or what people tell me, is that uh, it's a very rigorous process that people have to go through in order to legally own a gun. Um, Michael, you're saying that's not true anymore. Well, yeah, no. I mean, when they got rid of the gun registry, that was the end of any rigorous process. Um, Do you agree with that, Mike? No, uh, I don't. Well, first of all, to to say that uh, members of the police leadership are not supporting uh, gun control is just not true. And actually, this association, under my leadership, supported the gun registry, uh, along with Chief Blair at the time. Um, And what I'm talking about however, is realistic approaches to what is going on. And again, with, you know, Libby, when we have the largest unprotected border with more guns and so many guns coming over the border, you're going to have to shore that up. And what I'm talking about is when City Hall, or I hear the mayor uh, and, and debating from a municipal level, Michael, you know this, a gun ban, what is that? When we're talking about a federal prohibition, so nobody's been able to clarify what a gun ban is, and all I've heard is political but, but rhetoric. But they're, they're about to guns. take it up uh, uh, in Ottawa. Yeah, but here's what I'm all I'm. What exactly does that mean to you? So when you hear a gun ban, are we talking about a change to the criminal code to prohibit all handguns across the country? Because what I'm hearing is that, well, no, we're not talking about that. There's already strict regulations. What I'm hearing about is in certain jurisdictions will prohibit the ownership of handguns. If the, the, the government wants to take the initiative 
to not ban, but make it illegal to possess a handgun across the country. And as I stated in the beginning, that will have an impact on violence. I'm, nobody debates that the supply of guns, but there's many ways to get these guns. But to me, you have to tackle the root causes of what it gets to, to get in somebody's head to go walk down the street and blow somebody's brains out. And why are they doing that? Why do they have no value for their lives and the lives of others? Just by simply saying we're going to ban guns, next we're going to ban knives or whatever. We have to really look at all the core issues around this and have some meaningful discussion with some impacts that are really going to happen. Okay, let's uh, hear from Siva in Toronto. Hi, Siva. Hello, Libby. I just want to say the gun problem is caused by a lot of things. Recently, not recently, but a few years ago, the police were changing their guns. And they had a number of guns that they said they were going to crush. All of a sudden, we heard somebody stole the guns. Now, who could go into a police station and steal these guns? Now, where are they? Who sold them? You know? And and these are the questions that have to be answered. How would someone walk into a police station and steal those guns? It Uh, seems impossible to me. I I don't know if that happened, when that happened. Um, Mike, do you know what Siva's talking about? I have no idea. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think what she's talking about is when we converted from the 30H to uh, Glocks in the policing, but no guns were stolen that I've ever been made aware of. Well, that was reported. Someone said that the guns were stolen. Well, somebody didn't know who no. took them. Somebody, no. somebody said we've, we, we need uh, better reporting than that, and, and Siva, I'm just not aware of, of what you're saying happened. All right. Then there was a truckload of guns that were stopped at the border, what happened to those guns? We don't know. That's where the problem lies. The guns are coming in and no accountability as to where they're going. Well, if they're smuggled in, uh, they're probably going to gangs. If the police stop them, then, uh, you know, well, what happens when the police uh, stop a shipment, Mike? Well, you know, we would be seizing those firearms. And as you saw recently, uh, we intercepted uh, one seizure of 75 uh, handguns uh, coming up from the states. Uh, the chief reported in the last eight weeks we seized another 125 through uh, various projects and uh, our frontline officers going out there and engaging. And I'm down in Regent Park right now, 51 Division, where I'm doing this call. And, you know, they've seized dozens of firearms in the last few months. But the one thing that Michael and I do agree on, or we agree on many things, but this one thing is that the government has, uh, the federal government has treated the firearm uh, registry unit as a regulatory body instead of an enforcement body. And I do have a problem with that, not following up, because people are, uh, to your point, let me buying firearms and then selling them again. And we should be looking at, at that through an enforcement lens, not a regulatory lens, where the government's getting in touch with people through email saying, hey, you bought another firearm, what are you doing with that? Instead of looking at saying, we've got to get out there, we've got to see what the people are doing who are buying these firearms, when they buy multiple firearms, where are they, what are they doing with them, and look at that through an enforcement list. Well, well, it's also, I mean, this is from Chief Mark Saunders, is uh, that this is happening illegally, that people who are legal owners are yeah. selling them and then yeah. saying, oh, it was stolen. Yeah, all the time, all the time. But again, when, as soon as you see people who are buying multiple firearms, we should be having police agencies. That intelligence needs to be coordinated, and it needs to be shared amongst all the police agencies. Get out there, find out what's going on, not as this government is doing now, treating it as a uh, regulatory body, just following up, oh, you bought, you know, somebody's bought multiple firearms. That should 
trigger uh, a, 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 an investigation into what's going on and find out before these people can get those firearms or when we see multiple firearms being purchased and selling them illegally. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, let us go to Al in Brantford. Al, you're a handgun owner? I am. I just want to clarify something from Mr. Prudeau that they did not deregulate or scrap the handgun registry. They've even made it harder to get handguns. Uh, I don't think so. That's not our understanding. It, it is. Believe me, when you go through the process of applying and receiving, you they're checking clean back to high school. Uh-huh. How many guns do you own now? Through through your, if you've either, if you've ever, and they even asked you one of the questions is, did you ever break up with a girlfriend in high school? That'll kick you into another category. Um, when did you get your handgun, Al? I got my handgun 30-some years ago. Well, it's changed since then. No, it hasn't on that regard. Uh, How would you know if you got it 30 years ago? McCormick should be able to answer that question. Um, So... We still have very strict gun control, and in particular when it comes to handguns. And when we talk about gun registry, that's a different issue than uh, the permit to carry. And to to have a handgun or carry a handgun in this uh, country is illegal, other than a few exclusions, and that is to take it to, and you have to have a specific permit and apply, and it is still very rigorous, to apply to take that uh, handgun, transport it to a range, or to have a appropriate lockup within your house, um, and it still is very rigorous. But let me go into your point. What is happening is that there are people out there, and we've experienced this through many investigations, who are buying multiple handguns, and before we get notified, they've already sold them on the uh, the market or sold them to gang members or whatever. So that is the problem. And they, and they, <clears throat> Mike, is it not true that many of them will, in order to get them in the first place, call themselves collectors, collectors of handguns? Yeah, I mean, they can call themselves anything they want. But again, you know, Michael, to, to your point and my point is that the, fe- the federal government has to stop treating, treating this like it's a regulatory issue. This is right. clearly an right. enforcement issue. Right. Okay, I'm uh, going to uh, bring in for a few minutes Kevin Yard, who is the NDP safety critic. Hello, Kevin. Hello, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Well, I'm doing well. Okay, uh, do you think, thank you, do you think, um, as Mike McCormick has been saying, that one of the solutions is to tighten up enforcement on people who own guns? Well, we will, yeah, definitely, uh, people who own guns uh, seems to be the problem is that a lot of these guns are stolen from people who... Or they say they're stolen and, and they sell them. Well, they're ending up on the streets is what's happening. Right. So we do need to get uh, some enforcement continuing with that. And also we need to know who has the guns and how many guns they have. Of course, right now we, we don't even know that. Uh, uh, the last uh, legislation eliminated our ability to know how many guns are out there, long guns, handguns, and uh, that obviously is showing to be a problem. Well, that legislation, uh, in in my opinion, I don't think this is controversial, was uh, Stephen Harper playing to his base. I mean, it, it appears that the Liberals are going to get to this. Michael Bryant? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm now a part of a nonpartisan organization, so I don't know what the plans are of the Trudeau government, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, they've, uh, I think, wrongly made the commitment that uh, they have no intention of bringing back um, the registry that had seen um, 
the gun violence go down over time. They have no intention of bringing that back. Uh, what, what they seem to be looking at um, uh, um, is, is, a, is a lot more marginal, uh, de- dealing on the margins. Uh, so that, that would be a handgun ban in Toronto would be, in your opinion, more marginal? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that it's, it's a, a negative step. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, I agree with Mike, that the actual impact um, is not going to be significant. Um, and uh, really what, um, I mean, I, if, the, if the federal government was serious about this, then they would, you know, put caps on the, the number of guns people can have, and they would enforce the number of guns people can have legally, um, and um, enforce it in the way that uh, Mike's describing here, um, keeping in mind that uh, ideally what's happening is that uh, that there is uh, a national database keeping track of all the firearms across Canada, which is something we don't have right now. Okay, uh, we are beginning to run out of time on this. I'm going to take a call from Gerald in Maxwell. Gerald, very briefly, please. Good afternoon, Libby. Good afternoon. Uh, just- i just like to address this issue of uh, registration. Now, the last one that they had cost over a billion dollars. And they said when they scrapped it that it wasn't working. Now, to legally own a firearm in Canada, you have to have now a firearm acquisition certificate. Okay. Hello. What's your point? That you're saying that they, that they, they can check who is buying firearms by the people who have the certificates. If they want to know who's legally got guns, that's the way to go. Okay. Thanks for your call, Gerald. Uh, we have to uh, wrap things up very quickly, so I'm going to give uh, our panelists about uh, 30 seconds each. Kevin Yard. Well, obviously. Uh at the end of the game, uh, uh, we all need to feel safe, no matter no matter where we live. It does not just necessarily uh, in through Toronto and the GTA. And I think I can't really think of any reason why anybody would own a handgun in Toronto. Uh, we should be looking at all options to reduce gun violence. Uh, get the guns off the street. Yes, we definitely have to do that. And the police they have an important role to play and reducing gun violence. And I think there's another aspect, I'm not sure, I came in a little bit late in the conversation, uh, we need to look at the root causes of gun violence, such as poverty, access to opportunity, and addiction and mental health issues. Okay, thanks. Michael Bryant. I mean, my, my main point is that to do something on gun violence, one has a, a number of things that can be done to tackle gun supply, to lower gun supply. But, uh, I, you know, I stand by what I said as... Um, uh, as much as it may be hard for some people to hear, um, we do not have a serious gun homicide problem in the city of Toronto as compared to uh, cities around the world. Uh, we have a much more serious gun suicide problem, three times as many gun suicides as gun homicides as we have, uh, and that's been the case for a long time in Canada. Uh, and I hope that uh, as the debate on this goes forward, uh, people not base their decisions on fear, but instead on facts, and that this is always put into uh, context. Over okay. to you, Mike, for the last word. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, um, we do have a violence problem. We do have a um, gun violence problem when we have experienced a 145% increase. The data speaks for itself. Um, 
doesn't take away from other causes of death, whether it's suicide or what it, uh, car accidents or whatever, that has to be dealt with. But that does not diminish the need to deal with the current issues around gun violence. We do have an issue around that. Um, it boils down to, uh, I think all of us are on the same page. It's a multifaceted problem that's going to require a multifaceted approach. But when we're talking about gun bans and stuff like this, it boils down to supply and demand. If there's a demand for firearms and you don't deal with that demand, people will find you build a better mousetrap, you create a smarter mouse. They will find ways we have the largest unprotected border, as I said, with a, uh, a country south of us that has more guns per capita than they know what to do with. So we have to get to the root causes. We have to deal with this from a realistic approach, multifaceted. Uh, I have worked and lived this. And in policing, and I've seen what works and what we need to do, we have to have a strong, proactive policing component along with these other components, and we'll get through this. Okay. Thank you so much, Mike McCormick, Michael Bryant, and Kevin Yard. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.